What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another weekly episode of Inking Out Loud. I am your host, as always, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us again for the first time since I want to say The Shadow Rising Part 3 is none other than Chief Administrator Jared Livingston. What's up, Jared? <laughs> How's it going, guys? I thought I'd I see we're that, still just you? as creative as ever. Yeah, with you my thought title. I'd forgotten about that. It's been 31 <laughs> episodes, I think, since we've seen you last. It was the Shadow Oof. Rising Part Three, right? That sounds right. Yeah, because I know there was a yeah, Sanderson episode. It was Skyward, but Skyward was long before Star Sight. So yeah, it's got to be the Shadow Rising Part Three. Anyway, welcome it's back, been Jared. A while. Yeah, thank you for coming back. Surprised my mic still works. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're jumping into the Black Company. By Glenn Cook, first of the four books of the North. Drew, would you be so kind as to give us a summary of what happened in this book? Because I, particularly I, feel like I'm going to need it. <laughs> All right. So uh, we start off following uh, Croker. He is the physician and analyst of the Black Company, a mercenary group, as they work for a city called Beryl. And at the beginning of it, the city of Beryl is kind of suborned and taken in by a legate, one of the ten who were taken, these like ancient evil sorcerers, who are the lieutenants of the Lady of Charm and her dark empire in the north. The Black Company is hired by Soulcatcher. They sail across the Sea of Torments north and begin working for the Lady's Empire to help put down the White Rose Rebellion. They pick up a guy named Raven, who uh, used to be some sort of mysterious nobleman in the north and who has a grudge against one of the other Taken. They help Soulcatcher in, in her kind of maneuvers against the other Taken and against the rebels. Ultimately, uh, they win a lot of battles, but also the war goes poorly, everything lines up and they are stuck besieged at the ladies tower at charm where about a quarter million rebels attack but it's all a trap engineered by the lady to whittle away her enemies many of the taken are killed pretty much all of the rebels are killed and that includes Soulcatcher, the company's old patron who is revealed to be the lady's sister her so that's sister. uh oh and then <laughs> And then in the epilogue, we find out that Raven, who rescued a mute girl named Darling sometime earlier in the book, uh, has fled the Black Company. He has deserted along with Darling because he figured out that Darling is herself the prophesied White Rose who is expected to take down the lady. Mm. Yeah, okay. Okay, so I mean, I, I had the gist of what was going on. I'm going to admit that I had a lot of difficulty myself this particular week, starting with Glenn Cook. I'm not really sure where to begin from my style discussion, though. Is there anything you want to get out of the way, Drew? Yeah, so I would like to kind of place Glenn Cook's style in, in contrast to something that a lot of our listeners will be more used to, and that is Robert Jordan. Glenn Cook is in many ways the anti-Robert Jordan. Where Robert Jordan mm -hmm. takes his time to stop and smell the roses and describe the embroidery, uh, Glenn Cook does not. He very much does not. 
the only time he's going to bother describing a location or what somebody looks like or you know whatever is if it is extremely important to the story. He's not going to waste his time or your time with details. So largely the world is filled in in your imagination and uh, largely it is it, it, it's lived in but it's not super expansive if that makes sense it, you know you you get the important locations for the black company and you hear about the larger world so you know that it's more than just this kind of small thing but he doesn't spend time telling you what the cultures are like or or what the people look like or anything because to croker who is the one writing this book it doesn't matter he cares about the black company he cares about them staying alive and doing their job Jared, what do you think about that sort of style? So, I am not a fan of this style at all. Same. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Appreciate so, it. So, there's a little history here. I Drew's been trying to get me to read this for a while. I don't mm -hmm. remember when, when it started. It was many years ago. And I probably got through like 15 to 20 pages or something like that. I don't know, 30 pages before I just didn't finish it. Uh, but this time around, I was determined to read all the way through since we're doing this for the podcast. And I felt like I couldn't really give it a fair shake unless I, you know, finished the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But my opinion has not changed. <laughs> I appreciate he, so Drew's correct for sure. His style is very abrupt. I w I, that's what I would call it. Um, I feel like a lot of times he, it, it feels like Kroger's in the middle of a thought and then suddenly in the next sentence, the plot has skipped ahead quite a bit. Thank you. <clears throat> it sounds like Drew wanted to, to say something there and I'll let him. And. Oh, sorry. You were going to talk. Sorry. Go I, I, I would just, <laughs> I'd find myself a lot of times like rereading, you know, mm -hmm. a paragraph or two back just to get my bearings. So much yeah. agreement there. So much agreement. Drew, tackle on that. You know, I I fully agree with that. When The first time I read this book, uh, I actually struggled with a lot of the same things. Okay. The first okay. chapter, especially, was, it was slow going for me, where I was like, wait, like what? Because one of the things he does is he throws out names and situations as if you know what he's talking about. Because this is Croker, and he does know what he's talking about. Um, and and so that was a bit of a stumbling block when I first started this. Uh, by the end of the book, I had kind of gotten used to the style. But more importantly, I was um, engaged with the characters. I really liked Croker. I was interested in Raven. I, I liked Silent and Darling, you know. and And I will say... While that style, in a way, remains throughout the rest of the series, because this is Glenn Cook we're talking about, um, a couple of major things change after this book. This is the only book in the series purely in first person. Uh, we start with the second book getting third person, past tense, points of view that read much more like, uh, you know, a Robert Jordan or a George R. R. Oh. Martin or a Brandon oh, Sanderson. Okay, good. Good to know. Okay. Um, you, you get... Um, you get the world expanding quite a lot more. 
Yeah. Uh, because it's not just all Croker first person. Um, and, and there are a few other things that I don't want to spoil, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to go into. Right. But okay. that isn't to say that <clears throat> this doesn't end. It is still Glenn Cook. It is still Croker writing. And so you'll have that, what I think is the strongest aspect of the style is the the cynical kind of snark and sarcasm and like the 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 sense of like family and brotherhood in the company that really bleeds through in the pages. You get these lines with Croker talking about like, you know, I whitewash these guys. They're like, I make them look way better than they really are. But, you know, my mom always told me, don't speak badly of your family, you know, like that kind of a thing. So uh, that, yeah, that yeah. doesn't go away. But the style um, in, in two ways becomes more palatable. One, uh, the, the Croker parts. Uh, as Glenn Cook, because this is one of his earlier works, you know, uh, this book was published in like, I think, 1983 80, or something like that. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the series, I think the 10th volume was published in 2000. Uh, over time, he really gets much better, more comfortable. Uh, like, and especially you go back and read some of his earlier stuff, like the Dread Empire, that's rough, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, but, but he he really finds his groove, um, and this book especially is is different. And the second reason why it's different is the the structure of it. There were only seven chapters, <laughs> and yeah. this is because it started with him writing a short story, and that short story was, I believe, the third chapter, Raker. Or a fourth chapter. I can't remember which which one. Raker it was, was now, the third one because there was like was Leggett, that, that... Raven, Raker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Raker was the third one. Um, uh, basically, the whole adventure in Or, where they're running the game with the block and and like trying to get the bounty and all that. Yeah. He wrote that as a short story, and he fell in love with the characters, and so he expanded and built the story around that. Oh, okay. And so each one of these chapters is essentially a short story about one important character. The first one is Leggett. It's about Soulcatcher. The second one is Raven. It's about Raven joining the company. Third one is Raker. It's about them taking down, you know, like so on and so forth. Going forward, we get a standard chapter layout. I think Shadows Linger has like 42 chapters or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. Okay, that makes and, me feel And better. some of those chapters like uh, a page long, you know? <laughs> like Okay. Because the books remain very short and fast. Okay. I should probably... Make clear that I'm not taking issue with uh, the entire style that he brings because I did really like that camaraderie that you get with the sort of the military campaign style and the brotherhood and those mm -hmm. sarcastic moments. There were several <laughs> moments where I laughed out loud. Usually like I, goblet I in one eye, I'm guessing. Usually, usually. <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, I like all like the nicknames, although I'm a little confused why everybody has a nickname. <laughs> it's because you're the military, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that a yeah. thing? And I'm just unaware of that. And part of it is that they, you know, a lot of these guys are joining the company to escape from an old life, to run away. And so they want to cut ties with their, their roots. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely an element of that, but also what Rob said, like, you join, yeah. they're going to stick you with something. <laughs> the other kind of weird 
thing that I yep. had a problem yep. with. <laughs> Whether you like and it or not. Maybe it's the maybe it's the edition of the book I have, but there's no map. There is and no map. There will be no maps in any of these books. And especially this is a, a, it, yeah. with a style like this, where it's a military campaign, it's very hard to follow, besides just having kind of a general idea of what direction you're going in. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can send you a link to a pretty good fan-made map, but Glenn Cook is famously anti-map. He refuses to have maps in any of his books. Like, uh, are you a fantasy writer against maps? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> really interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, mm. And and I will tell you, like, well, especially as I'll... the series goes on, he gives enough information that you can, like, that there is a pretty good fan-made map out there where people have put it together. Where they're like, okay, well, we know this place is this many miles in relation to that one. We know there's this mountain range here, blah, blah, this river, you know, the coastlines over there. So um, there, there's a pretty, pretty effective map that I can, you know, link to you guys if you want it. <laughs> I'm curious how he keeps track of okay. it. Like okay. as he was writing this, how did he, did he have just a map on, on his own? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. Hmm. Also, That's is a he a question, war vet <laughs> himself? Yes, he is. You would, you would so so. Uh, he, he fought like in it. the Vietnam War. And kind of the origin story of the Black Company was, you know, he was deployed. And, and at the time, Lord of the Rings was really popular. And some of the, like, in the wake of Lord of the Rings, similar hero's journey type fantasy like uh, uh, Terry Brooks and David Eddings, you know, the, the Belgariad. Um were really popular and a lot of these military guys loved reading the fantasy books but glenn cook came back from that war after falling in love with fantasy and he thought you know what where's the story about the frontline guys where where's the fantasy for us where's the fantasy for the soldiers and so he sat down and he wrote the black company and that was uh, uh, one of the early, um, I, I won't call this grimdark, because I think there's some, some pretty sharp differences in tone and style in the Black Company versus what we have come to know as grimdark. And, you know, we've read The Acts of Cain. Yeah, some of us have read The Gap Cycle or, you know, uh, First Law or Malazan or any of these things. Uh, different different kind of feel from the Black Company. But this is undoubtedly the grandfather of Grimdark. Uh, it's it's one of those formative works along alongside uh, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant that inspired the generation we have now of Grimdark fantasy. Mm -hmm. So, Well, <clears throat> I'm going to back up a few minutes here and uh, expand a little bit on my opinion of this style here. I do absolutely agree with pretty much everything Jared has said, especially when you started Jared saying that it, it just, you weren't a huge fan of the narrative structure. I will actually, I'll take it a step further and say, I kind of hated the narrative structure. Um, it was kind <laughs> of like I was all the way through Kane's law and I was just constantly confused. I was reading, rereading. I was trying to follow along with what decisions everyone was making and why they were making them. Uh, like the scenes don't the scenes don't really have any kind of they don't seem to have any traditional openings or endings in a lot of cases they're just kind of flowing together like one continuous voice that's still interrupted by page breaks mm -hmm. and a lot of the time it kind of seemed like I was supposed to just gather on my own 
that time was passing in between. Um, I, it could yes. just be that I'm just not, I'm simply not used to this style of storytelling, but it did make for some, I'll admit it, made for some very difficult stretches where I was, to be quite honest, struggling not to fall asleep, having no concept where <laughs> in the chapter I was. I had no real manner of, I don't know, detecting that. So, and you know what, what, what really made it did worse? You... Sorry, go ahead. Did you do audiobook? No, this? this time I didn't. This time I actually bought the book. Not Smart. physically. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, no, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't even attempt the audiobook with this one. Um, believe it or not, actually, I had the audiobook two years ago. I, I bought the audiobook two years ago. And <clears throat> like you, Jared, I actually got about, at that time, it was like 10, 12 minutes into the audiobook, and I just kind of turned it off. I was uninterested. Um so this time around, I remembered that experience. I went straight for the ebook. I went. I got it on Google Books, uh, Google Play, I should say, and I read it on my phone. Which again, I wouldn't really recommend, just because it's kind of uncomfortable to hold a little Samsung Galaxy S8 for what amounted to like you know six to ten hours. I don't know how long it took me. Um, but you know, I'll tell you what. What made it what the worst part was. There's important details that get le- that that just they link to other details that we had earlier that you might not have caught on to. For example, uh, in our first description of Shapeshifter, we have this, and I wrote this down, this quote, One pallid, liver-spotted hand clutched a pole of a staff that was a thing of beauty defiled by its bearer's touch. It was an immensely elongated female body, perfect in every detail. Someone whispered, They say that was a real woman back during the domination. They say she cheated on him. You could not blame the woman, not if you gave Shifter a good look. Shapeshifter is Soulcatcher's closest ally among the ten who were taken. His enmity for the Limper is more virulent than the patron than our patrons. The Limper was the third corner in the triangle explaining Shifter's staff. And at that last line, I had to stop and I went, wait, what? And then I realized my mistake. I'd kind of been zoning out at that point. And I returned to the previous paragraph to read it again. And then I made the connection. Oh, okay. He's talking. Okay, I get it now. But there was a specific moment when I realized, uh oh. I'm zoning out. I missed the detail. I had to go back and read it again. Yeah, that's something unique to Glenn Cook's style and specifically Croker's style. Um, he writes like that, uh, where you just kind of have to get used to it. And once you do get used to it, pieces really start clicking together. Mm. Um, uh, I, I will admit, you know, the first time I read this book, uh, I, I had a similar experience to you guys. Um, it was only on rereads that I really started seeing some of the genius in here and some of these little callbacks um, uh, and some of the foreshadowing that he laid. So I'm actually curious on, on this topic of foreshadowing. Was it a surprise to either of you no. that Soulcatcher was a woman? Oh, that Soulcatcher? No, because the, the, her main voice when she got serious was that of this of the stern female. Every time she got serious yes. was that same... Stern no, female. that wasn't a surprise. It felt like uh, he alluded to it several times. I thought you were yeah, about to yeah. ask if it was so, obvious that the white rose was darling. I was gonna. I was like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that was obvious. <laughs> Did he um, mean that to be a big reveal at the end? Because it wasn't. No. Well, so this is the cool thing because we're so deeply in Croker's writing. It was a surprise to Croker. Because he wasn't looking for it. And we actually had the one line when they're, um, you know, they're playing cards and talking about the rumors. And, you know, the, the how the White Rose rebels are saying they found a girl. And and uh, 
they're saying like, oh, I don't believe it. And then Darling pokes her head in the room and Croker kind of waves high. And then he thinks, you know, I tried to picture her in the role of the White Rose. I couldn't do it. And then just moves on. So it's like he wrote it off early. And only later when the evidence really started mounting, did he like realize, oh, crap. And then he realized, well, the lady is all about me. She's, if she interviews me again, oh shit. Like (laughs) once he put the pieces together, he's like, I cannot go back before the eye or we're all dead. (laughs) How old is Croker? Do we know? Uh, That's the question I had. He, he is, I believe in this book, he is like 34 or 35. That's it? I got the the impression that he was either at the end of his 30s or the beginning of his 40s. Uh, of course, mid-30s is pretty I'd, close. I'd have, to, I'd have to double check. I know there's one point in Shadows Linger where he mentions his age, but it's nebulous. He basically says, because Shadows Linger happens like uh, five or six years after the Black Company. Um, he says he would never see oh, yeah? 40 okay. again. So he's in his 40s, at least, in okay. Shadows Linger. But he's in his 30s somewhere okay, okay. in mid to late 30s. Yeah. Okay. Now, Which I is have, also uh, an interesting aspect of... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. No, go ahead. Finish your thought before I start a new subject, though, because it's a new subject. <laughs> well, I was just saying, it's, it's another interesting aspect to the kind of fantasy that Glenn Cook is writing here. We're not following a teenage farm boy or a princess. Like, we're following a full-blown adult who's like... He he's formed. He's he's got his life together. Like he's 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 cynical. You know, he's crotchety. He's in a totally he's a different stage of life. Yeah. He's than than yeah. you know your your Randall Thors and your Kaladin Stormblasts and your Vin, you know, and 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 whomever you want to yeah. choose. It's it's not a a new adult becoming a full blown you know adult and and forging their way in life. This guy's already well in his established track like <laughs> okay well i, I want to talk about his maybe pros. that's why maybe that's why i viewed him as being older than he is i was thinking like 50s kind of thing like grizzled veteran he reads like it at times doesn't he mm-hmm. well i mean keep in mind he's he is a grizzled veteran yeah, he's been <laughs> in the black company for years and years grizzled so. veteran in his 30s yeah yeah yeah, well, uh, diving a little more uh, detailed into his prose here, I want to talk about the prose on a word-by-word basis because uh, there were a lot of times I found the rose to the, the rose, the prose to be beautiful but kind of bland at the same time, and I know that's a, like that's a bit of a of an oxymoron. I I didn't have much, I didn't read much nuance or or rhythm in a lot of cases. It's cleverly descriptive. I'll I'll admit that we have. Uh, we have descriptions of like like the ship that the legate appeared on being as black as the floors of hell. Like he does have, um, you know, some clever descriptors in there, but there's a lot of very simple, direct, and oftentimes overly monosyllabic delivery, with very little flair. And I wrote down another excerpt here from chapter three. Okay, get this: the wind was a hard blow out of the north, gritty with powdered snow. A foot had fallen during the night. More was coming. It would bring more misery with it. I pitied Elmo and his gang. They were out rebel hunting. Maestricht fortress. Pearl of the salient defenses. Frozen in winter. Swampy in spring. An oven in summer. 
White Rose Prophets and Rebel Main Forces were the last or the least of our troubles. So, <clears throat> yep. 71 words. 71 words right there split into, and I counted, 12 sentences. So I did the math. That's an average of 5.9 words per sentence. And each sentence ends with a straight, monotone period. It was, it was moments like that that had my eyes glazing over as the hours of reading kind of drew long. See, that is like kind of the flip side of one of the things I love about the writing here. And, and I have a, a particular example of it that we've actually already discussed on one of our Patreon episodes. And that oh. is the very opening of this book. There were prodigies and portents enough, One Eye says. We must blame ourselves for misinterpreting them. One Eye's handicap in no way impairs his marvelous hindsight. Like, you, you just have these simple, direct statements, but what makes it genius is the voice behind it. It's, it's what Croker chooses, what Cook chooses to focus on. In, in that, you know, passage you described there, you get the feel for what Maastricht Fortress is. And more importantly, you get the feel for the attitudes of the Black Company during this siege, basically. Where they're like, we don't really give a shit about all of these enemies and, and sorcerers out there because it is bitter cold, we're miserable, we're bored. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's all about the voice and the personality behind the prose that, that I appreciate the most. The personality definitely comes through. I would just like it to be a little less confusing to follow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there, there is definitely a valid, a valid point there, you know, that Glenn Cook does not like to, um, put the puzzle pieces together for you. Well, he, it... he likes to just like throw things at you and, and it's kind of up to you to decide, like, do I want to spend my time putting together these disconnected pieces or do I want to pay attention to what Croker thinks is important? I don't know. <clears throat> so it, to me, it's just the fact that there was no, there's no real, there, there, there's no other punctuation. There's no quotation during that, uh, during that, that uh, litany I just gave. There's no questions involved. There, there's no internal dialogue. It's just statement, 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 and then two more statements. It was twelve. 12 statements with a period, all one after another with nothing in between. It, it just, I don't know. It, it felt to me like it got boring. There's a lot to be had so, when you dive in. It's just, I don't know, there's no real dance to it, if I want to use that term. I, I can understand that gripe, although I want to push back. Sure. This literally is Croker's internal dialogue. Yeah, I guess. Croker's writing yeah. this. This is what he's thinking when he's it, sitting and down. And it does help me so, to know that the next book is a little more traditional in terms of its storytelling from what I understand, right? Yeah, the the next book, it's it's not like a 50-50 split like, you know, Ruin of Kings was where you have like the flip-flopping points of view right. uh first person to third person, but for a lot of the book it does that where it has a, a, a <clears throat> another character's third person point of view and then Croker's first person annals. So, you know, I like the humor. I guess it kind of Sorry, go ahead. I guess the style kind of reflects croker specifically right because yeah, he's a pretty down-to-earth guy military man and yet he can 
have these moments like that one when he read to them for three hours from yes. the histories of the Black yeah. Company. He's, He's like strong. raving like, like a bad tears. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's just like drawing back just a reflection of his character more than anything yeah. it is it very much is and i don't want to spoil anything for you but i will say not every book in this series uh is written by croker and you will find noticeable changes in style when it's not croker okay. and that is one okay, of the so things i, I think is most incredible about glenn cook's writing is that this guy can like change hats change writing hats at a okay. at a whim like it's crazy <laughs> so it sounds like jared and i just don't yet have the context necessary to detach croaker from cook right um and and i will say like most of the series is croaker and uh sure. and he is as um just just an aside in the fandom kind of um consciousness he's the favorite most people like croaker the most uh, and and that makes sense. I mean, he's the one you start with. You get to know him before any other person puts pen to paper. Like, um, you know, Jared and I have a friend, Nick, who uh, who loves, loves the Croker books and totally lost interest once it moved away from Croker. He was hmm. like, oh, it's not Croker anymore? I don't want to read this. Like, <laughs> Talk he, about got the... to, he got to one book that wasn't Croker and was like, eh. <laughs> The, the the Stark often crude military humor I found was awesome. I love this kind of humor. I live for this kind of humor. Like this moment in chapter three when uh, Otto says, I think it was to one eye, it might have been Goblin, but he said something along the lines of, you couldn't turn a tadpole into a frog. Like those little kind of jabs. Oh, God. I love those little jabs. <laughs> They're great. But, and I know this, this might upset both of you guys, I could not... I could I, I could not get on board at all with these goblin versus one eye kind of showdowns of wit. I really I hated I hate the first one I found I was okay this is cool it's kind of heartwarming I see what these guys are doing to kind of bring up the attitudes of the men that's cool second time I was like okay they're doing it again that's cool but we're getting more and more detail about the entire process again I was like oh we're just doing the same oh okay we're just doing this again. And then the third time it happened, I was starting to get a little sick of it. And then the fourth time it happened, I was like, oh my god, okay. We, I I was not on board with those at all past the second So did one. you empathize? Did you empathize with, like, Croker or the lieutenant or the captain when it started and they're, like, rolling their eyes like, oh, they're at it again? Like, uh, yes and no, because I feel like Croker's attitude in response to that was kind of prescribed. It was part of the fun, which to me, I was not having any fun. So I, I don't, I don't know. I did not like them. It's just a personal taste thing. I did not like them. It was a funny for the first couple times, not funny anymore kind of thing after that for me. Yeah, See, I, I enjoy it all the way through. Um, <laughs> there, there are a couple that I don't find as funny as others. Um, but, but generally speaking, if there's a goblin in one eye, a little spat, um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, they have a they have a complicated relationship with each other where they it's very much like a love hate thing where it's not always just in good fun you know yeah where uh and and i like how that gets developed as the series goes on so i'm a little biased toward what happens in the first book here but but i also appreciated what 
what kind of purpose it served. Like, for instance, at the Stair of Tear, where, you know, the company's morale is in the gutter. They've been retreating, retreating, retreating. They've won every battle they've participated in, but yet the war is a lost cause. And they're, you know, they're just like, they're dragging. And then Goblin and One-Eye go at it. And the captain's like, this is what we need. Like, we we need a morale boost. And Goblin and One-Eye are doing this to to perk up the troops, to get you know, get their minds out of the grave and back to life as soldiers and, and back to the, the brotherhood of the company and the men they're fighting for and all of that. And so I appreciated how it wasn't always just the same context around uh, their spats. Fair. I don't okay. know. Yeah. <clears throat> they didn't all feel like they were... Uh entirely in 100% good fun. There was a little bit of variation there. Um, seeing mm-hmm. them jab each other, even, you know, at these at the points where they're not out, you know, overtly trying to make everybody laugh. Like, there was, there was one point later on, even, when it wasn't even between Goblin and One-Eye. I think it was... I can't remember which one it was. It was Goblin or One-Eye. But he formed his own face on the head of the snake and scared the absolute crap out of Croker. And I, during yeah. a moment like that, I was like... He was very, very intensely silent and trying not to be overheard. He was trying to make no noise. So I felt like that was a little bit juvenile. I was like, Come, what are you doing? You almost made the guy yell in fright when he's supposed to be silent here. This is this is taking it a step too far. I found it juvenile. I don't know. It's, it... And they do. I mean, and that's one of the flaws, especially with One-Eye. It's one of his flaws is that he, he tends to lose his sense of, like, the gravity of a situation. He does it in, uh, in Orr when they're hunting Raker, and he's, like, out there selling amulets oh. that will sense rebels and stuff like that. Yeah. And Croker's like, you gotta be f-ing kidding me. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's, he's gonna blow our cover, you know? And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what I what I has that character flaw for, sure. He he is juvenile. <laughs> um, it certainly has last... the feel of infighting between brothers, for sure. Mm-hmm. It has like a sibling mm-hmm. rivalry. Where sometimes to it's it. in fun. Absolutely. Some, yeah. Sometimes it's in fun, but and sometimes you like are legitimately trying to like kill your brother. You know. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the the interactions between those in the Black Company do have that flavor of sibling rivalry. I mean, they call themselves brothers, right? That's kind of like mm-hmm. the uh, the 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 relationship, the the landscape that they have with one another. You know, it's. It's, it's it forms there's a very very unique bond that is formed between brothers who are at each other's throats one minute but you know having each other's backs the next minute you know i could i could absolutely, absolutely. attest to that having a younger brother myself <laughs> yeah yeah so my yeah. my last style point i just want to talk about how surprisingly dark this book got for me you've warned me a little bit in the past drew but i still wasn't ready for it for the, the rare the rare few moments where it got real dark, you know. Like yeah, okay, we have we've got vivid descriptions of combat and wounds, but those are the least of it. We, I, there's a lot of rape. I think I know one in particular that uh, I've got two the Amazons. You could, you could probably figure And then it. Croker's dream. Yes. The dream. I mean the dream is 
Well, okay. I'll, I'll, let me go. I just got a, I just got a, a, a minute here. There's a lot of rape. There's torture. There's sheer masochism going on in this book. More than I was prepared for, like I said earlier. Uh, a particular moment in Chapter 2, I think it was, right, as we met Darling and her grandfather. That was pretty brutal. What's her grandfather's name, by the way? Is it Fletcher? Flick? What the hell was his uh, name? Flick. Flick? Flick. Flicker or something? I thought it was more than one it's, syllable. It's Flick. Okay. I'm All pretty right. sure it's just Flick. Um, it's actually kind of hard to remember because the guy dies like... Yeah, he dies pretty early on. Like yeah. 20 pages later. Um, um, right as we I'm met sure Darling and her grandfather. Uh, that was... That was pretty brutal um an unnecessary description of a dream that croaker was having in chapter six i think that's what you're talking about was yeah, also pretty and, disgusting, and i will say go ahead with with that he, this is one of the reasons that like glenn cook isn't quite grimdark for me yes we have this this dream but he doesn't go into description all he says is a couple of unspeakable things and then moves on and and Croker reflects on how disgusted he is with himself. But same thing could be argued with Stover in Blade of Ty Shall during a couple of select scenes with Faith. It's no so so here's here's the switch though. It's like I would compare this more with um what Stover does in Heroes Die, whereas in Blade of Ty Shall we get these lengthy descriptive you know like a couple of things with Faith. Yeah, it doesn't he doesn't spend time describing some of the things implied there, but we still get the description of like Kohlberg with his cheek pressed against the glass. And like, you know, this is just one throwaway line that Mm. it's, it's where cook is letting, you know, this is Croker's filter. We get a couple of these lines, you know, where Raven makes fun of Croker and he's like, dude, you're making us look like angels. This is not at all how it is. Maybe I'm going to write my own annals and show how it really happened. You know, like, we get these throwaway lines to let us know, yes, this is a dark and gritty world, but he doesn't spend time shocking you with details. Which is what I um, kind of appreciate about it, almost. It's it's not, you know, like, like if if Joe Abercrombie or, or George R. R. Martin wrote that scene with Croker having the dream, would have been like three paragraphs long, and you would have wanted to put bleach in your eyes afterward. <laughs> I don't know. I still kind of like, felt like that <laughs> after at the end of this one. You know, there wasn't as much description. You're right. It's uh, yeah. again. It's it's not so much the the subject <laughs> material itself inherently that bothers me. It's the resigned kind of mm-hmm. nonchalant matter of factness with which it's presented. Like there's there's a moment where where hmm. if I remember correctly, Croker. This is earlier on, maybe halfway through the book. He's talking to a, a fellow companion, and they're just. <clears throat> ignoring the sounds of a woman being raped. And uh, Croker, yeah. I, I think it was Croker, yeah, he said something along the lines of, well, I mean, they even kind of asked for it, you know, taking up arms against Soulcatcher. I think he was talking about Soulcatcher. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But it's just treated as, well, this is reality. You know, we can't change it. Just got to do what we can and live with it. I just, I can't right. lose myself yeah. in a text that dark, you know? it. I can't... I mean, yeah, like, there, there's certainly, this is one myself. of Croker's flaws as a character, and this is where that, you know, that gray area where it's like, you know, Croker in that scene, that's when they're, uh, they've taken over Journey's camp and beaten okay, the yeah, Amazons, yeah. and, and they've, like, those they haven't killed, a bunch of the Black Company are off, like, behind the building, like, raping them, Yeah. and Croker and the captain and the lieutenant and a couple others, they're like, you know, like, Kind of just like rolling their eyes and being like these, we got these young idiots, they got to do their thing, you know, and, and so it's, it, 
it's this weird uh, character trait that you have to grapple with, with you know, with Croker, where he is a more decent one of them, but he's he's not over there like stopping it. No, yeah, none know? of them are, and that's kind of like the Black Company yeah. as a whole to me is not a is not a protagonistic force in any way. There's a lot of really dark individuals there that I really don't want good things to happen for. Yeah, and and that's that's why this is like <clears throat> the the grandfather of Grimdark, mm. because these are characters like, for instance, Kane. Like, how how much awful shit does Kane do? Mm. Yeah, well, he doesn't. And, and at the same time, like good good stuff, and and so it, you have to grapple with these characters. You have to ask questions about, uh, you know, who you're rooting for, why you're rooting for them. Um, you know, you. It, it's not a clear-cut good versus evil, especially in this book where your heroes, Amen. so to speak, your protagonists, are literally working for the evil Empress. Like, <laughs> so. Yep. I mean, certainly, we aren't, this isn't a story like a white knight hero journey at all. Mm-mm. And <laughs> I gathered he, that. He yeah. makes a point. He makes a point to call it out several times. Like, these aren't the best people, you know. Yeah. There's a brotherhood, but they aren't good people necessarily. I do think that Croker in particular, though, as we get towards the end of the book, he starts to make it very clear that he's regretting some of this, I think. Yeah. Especially yes. his relationship with the lady. Mm. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. This is a good jumping off point, I think, he... to talk about characters. Sorry, go ahead, Drew. No, yeah, great, great jumping off point. Yeah. When he sees the lady sort of take her mask off and... You know, he has this impression of her where she's being kind to him. She's being benevolent. Of course, she's super mega hot, and and he's swayed <laughs> by that. And then he sees how ruthless she is, and and how she's willing to murder a quarter million men to get her way. He's like, oh my gosh, I, I cannot support this. Like this is this woman is evil. But he's already and, thinking that beforehand, though. Like. Well, long before. Well, but it, that was the it was it was when they killed Soulcatcher. Yeah, um, and you learned who Soulcatcher. And, and I actually want to ask you guys a question about this okay. because this is something that I've I've had in the back of my mind for a while. Do you think Croker was under magical control to any extent by the lady when he killed Soulcatcher? One hundred percent. That was the impression that I, I have got. no doubt that he was. So, yeah, I waffle on this a lot, and and this time through, I was like, you know, like I I think I need to just come down on the side of yes, he was, because the brutality of it is so much of what Croker has sort of pushed away earlier in the book, where he he doesn't partake in that kind of brutality when the company is, and then in this scene, he's just like, oh. Two-handed, chop her head off, like, in one stroke, like, in... I felt he was under under her... Uh... Or, 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 or he kills the uh, the horse. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you know, he, he does these, like, brutally violent things that we don't really get the impression of being Croker's M.O. He talks about how he's, he'd much rather, like, stand back at a distance and plink away with arrows than get in the trenches and, like, chop guys up with a sword or an axe. And then here it's not he his is. Style at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I got the impression that he was hoodwinked by the Lady of Charm for long before that. Like even his whole 
I don't know, am I falling in love with her? Is this just natural? What's going on here? And the way, like, like, I, I figured that he was being influenced or corrupted by her long before that. Long before that. Uh, so I didn't get that sense, um, especially because she hadn't had contact with him. Uh, I think that was more, Croker is a romantic at heart. And so she, she took advantage of that once she got access to him. Mm. Well, and it was only after seeing all of this brutality that he was like, wait a second, like what, what have I done? What is going on here? Like, this is wrong. Well, uh, you know, you're talking about the when he when he killed Soulcatcher, and and when he saw like the the disease bombs that she dropped, right? You know, okay. or that she had to take and drop on the uh, you know the rebel army. Well, and... I, I've got a a quote from chapter four though that I'd like to to throw in here at this point then, and I did write this mm -hmm. one down word for word. And I think it's at the very end of chapter four. I am a haunted man. I am haunted by the limpers' screams. I am haunted by the lady's laughter. I am haunted by my suspicion that we are furthering the cause of something that deserves to be scrubbed from the face of the earth. I am haunted by the conviction that those bent upon the lady's eradication are little better than she. I am haunted yes. by the clear knowledge that, in the end, evil always triumphs. This is not something that he had a thought at that time. This is something two chapters earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's only after he sees the brutality at Charm that he makes the decision. Uh, he says, this is this is wrong. Okay, okay. It's I'm not haunted fair by enough. this anymore. That's fair. I am going to go get my money and give it to Raven and tell him the location of the papers so that he and Darling can get somewhere safe and we can wait the next 35 years for a comet to show up and, and herald, you know, the downfall of the lady. 35 years, anyway. Like, I believe that was, or was it 37? It was something like that. I don't that. remember an actual number. He, he talks about the, I think it's, I think that it's in the scene close attention when he's it. at the stair <laughs> of tear and they first see the comet when he's like way up it's, high. It's about and time. I remember on the horizon. like, oh, it's about time. Yeah. But I remember there being a number involved. Yeah. 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 It's like a cycle where the, okay. the, when the comet comes well, around. I figure, yeah, as, most, um, as most comets tend to be. <laughs> I just don't remember the, uh, the exact number, but. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's he makes that decision, and that's the real character growth that we get with Croker in this book is is him going from this morally gray character to at the end somebody who's making a decision to stop being morally gray. Just making the decision itself. That's the that's yeah where he's arrived as a character. Cool, I can see that, Jared. Yeah. And I mean, he knew what he was he knew what he was getting involved with at the very start of the book. Well, yeah, he had his suspicions where he was like, I, because he was the only one who really like remembered the stories about the lady and the Dominator and the Taken and like, uh, and, yeah. and he was like, is this what I think it is? And then he got the confirmation and then he like gets the shakes on the ship and he goes to the captain and tells him and, you know, it's like, well, not much you can do now, bud. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh. Almost sounded Canadian. Now, uh, said that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, hey, bud. I tell you what, there. Um, uh, but on on the topic of character, do you guys have more about Croker? Just um, I just want to talk about his curiosity. Pardon me, got a bubble in my throat there. I'm not sure if that'll be picked up later. <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's still a great character, nar uh, narratively speaking. Not as a person. Not, I'm not saying morally. Obviously, I have a few problems with his character. On that front. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but as, 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 you know, 
as what a character is and what it represents, yeah, I, I found him to be, you know, uh, satisfying to read, at least, as a journey. It was more rewarding, if I want to use that word in this case, being inside his head, for example, than, than a lot of the others in the Black Company that I can think of. Maybe it uh, it would have been, Ooh. I guess it would have been neat to be in Raven's Head uh, at times here and there. Yeah. Oh, do we get to be in Raven's yeah. Head later? You can spoil that for me, right? Um, I I won't touch that. <laughs> okay read and all find right. out all right uh but croker has this entertaining i was gonna say desire no it's 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 a burning to know about each of his fellow soldiers he's got this compelling sense of curiosity particularly when they dangle interesting tidbits about their history in his presence um he's inwardly like considering when their most like vulnerable moments are and he's de actively deciding on occasion, okay, now is the time to attack. He goes about learning their secrets a lot like I imagine a scavenger on the Serengeti, just dashing in and taking <laughs> one piece at a time when he, like, when he can and as he can. There's one specific moment when he's alone with Raven, and Croker's thinking to himself, he says, Raver, uh, Raven reined in beside me. The limpers work. I've seen it before. I sniff the wind. Maybe I had him in the right mood. What was that? <laughs> he ignored me. You know, the, the way that Cook yeah. manages to instill Croker's curiosity, not out of, like, some sort of perverted, you know, voyeurism, but this sheer instinctual, animalistic kind of curiosity. It made, it, to me, it made Croker palatable, you know, outside of everything else that I had a problem with him. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is your curiosity about the character is his curiosity yeah, he's, like, about he's, his he's, crew members. He's personifying a lot of what the readers Nailed thinking. it. Right? There you go. Yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. I didn't even consider that. Um, that's that's brilliantly deducted. And and because it's in such a limited point of view, uh, he can use Cook can use that to build mysteries. I mean, Raven is such a colossal mystery. Oh my god. After his, this book, you know. His entrance, it's old history. I'll settle it before I join you. Five people have to die to close the book. That's like how do you start a how do you start an introduction with that? Yeah. What? That's that's how you in Okay, pardon pardon my French. That is how you introduce a badass motherfucker. <laughs> okay. Raven's one of my favorites, I got to say. He's pretty cool. Yeah. He's the most interesting yeah. in my opinion. Go ahead. Which is funny cuz we have like the least amount of info about him. That's kind of why right. he's the most you know, interesting. Mhm. Mm and and I like the the tidbits we were given that he has this kinship with the captain. Where they understand each other because they there there's some similarity in their personalities. Until he starts you know? to lose and, his mind uh, at the end, and he's even looking at the captain suspiciously. What the fuck's going on there? Oh, because he's uber protective of Darling. He I, I get that. Everybody of yeah yeah. But he was, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Raven's being an idiot. Okay. But that's why he's being an idiot. <laughs> at that point, did he know about Darling being the White Rose? Because I was kind of confused, left on that. Raven. Ray, yeah, did, did yeah, Raven, Raven know that figured Darling... it out first. When did he figure it out? Like in the in the story wise, because that uh, it's unclear when exactly. But there is and how did he um, figure it out? One... That's the next thing I want to know. Uh, I I'm I'm gonna stay away from this because it's verging on spoilers. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I just want to make sure I didn't miss it in the text. Like I didn't kind of zone out at that moment. No, there's not like some major like revelation good, point for good, okay. where Raven happened, Raven's like I would have missed it. You know, Darling does something. Raven's just like oh, White Rose. No, like that doesn't happen. Um, Pardon me. 
but there are hints. There are hints, and as you read on, you'll be able to kind of put those pieces together and extrapolate back to around when Raven would have figured cool. it out. Okay. Well, that ends. He Raven. knew before Charm. I'll say that he knew before Charm. Wow. Okay. That ends Raven for me, and it ends Croker for me. Um, the only one I have left is Soulcatcher, and it's just one point. Anything else you guys want to get out of the way, though? Uh, well, we've kind of already gone over Goblin and One-Eye. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I... So I wanted to talk about the Taken in general. Oh. And get your impressions of them. Okay. So... Did they remind you of the Forsaken? Not at or... all. They did at first. Until they all started dying and all being replaced. And then started dying and then being replaced. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's a lot more cheap of a pedigree than Forsakenhood. <laughs> well. They reminded me greatly of the Forsaken. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will like, say. I, I've always thought about the Forsaken like, man, they could have probably done some real damage if they just worked together like once in a while. And it's the same thing with the Taken. I don't see I yeah. squabbling, infighting, power they're also grubbing. on the, 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 the Taken are on the front lines with the men too. And they're falling in the battle just like the men. I mean the Forsaken are like gods among That's... insects. They would just wipe the battlefield at, like I don't know, I just didn't really see I started to see it at the beginning. So... But it changed pretty quickly for me. Uh, there there's a like so I do see some some major parallels with the Forsaken. Um, uh, for our listeners, we're talking about the Wheel of Time. Uh, we'll try not to go into any specific spoilers. Did but, I do that just now? Uh, I may have. No, no, none of us did. <laughs> okay. None of us did. Okay. Um, the the uh, but the gist of it is that the Forsaken are thirteen of the most powerful magic users, and they serve the Dark One. And here we have ten of the most powerful magic users who serve the Dark Lady. Um. As Jared said, there there definitely is that infighting, um, you know, internal miscommunication and politics going mm -hmm. on where there there are hatreds. Uh, I think it is more exacerbated among the Taken than among the Forsaken, though. Uh, there is like real hatred between, as as Rob quoted earlier, you know, the Limper and, and Shapeshifter and Soulcatcher, uh, and. There's, of course, more to it with the Taken because there's also the Dominator in play who has been uh, seducing the female Taken to help him resurrect, which we find out at the end of this book. You know, that like that's why there was this mass kill-off of the Taken at Charm because the women were fighting the men. And then, of course, Soulcatcher was playing her own game, trying to get all of them dead and... and and keep the Dominator oh, buried. Oh, you know what? That reminds me of somebody from the Wheel Empress. of Time. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair yep. enough. Uh, yeah, and so there are definite parallels. And I wish, freaking wish, Robert Jordan had ever been asked about the Black Company. Mm. Because Robert Jordan also fought in Vietnam. He came back and wrote a fantasy series started working on the eye of the world like a year after the first black company book came out what? no surely like six years right i the world was published in so, 90 but this came out in 82. it was published in 90 he started work on eye of the world as far as i know started working on eye of the world in 1984 <whistles> so there uh 
there is definitely a possibility that he took some inspiration from the Taken when crafting the Forsaken. Wouldn't that be an honor? Oh my goodness. No, no joke, dude. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, you know, Glenn Cook is still alive. Um, it is, it that was is my next question. I wasn't sure how to phrase it politely. Or, or, it is or a delicately. dream of mine to meet that guy. Uh, okay. It's tough, though, because he doesn't really go to conventions or anything anymore. But if I could I ask him, like, were you friendly with, with Robert Jordan? Did did you guys read each other's work? You know, like that kind of a thing. Uh, but I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that there are some elements to the Forsaken to be found, you know, foundationally in in the Taken, in the Ten. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Some food for thought there. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. And then, uh, oh, who is your last character that you said? Oh, I just, I just said I had a, one small thing about Soulcatcher. Um, still, you know, Soulcatcher started right off intriguing, right out of the gate. Only grew more interesting as the plot thickened for me. Um, I loved the imagery of the black-wrapped, vaguely feminine figure with a thousand different voices at her command. I kind of want to get the audiobook. Or, I mean, to download again, I should say the audiobook, just just to see how the narrator would have uh, accomplished something like that or, or approached it. I don't yeah. know. I love voiceover. Uh, Pat, uh, what? Pat speaks very highly of the uh, audiobooks. Oh, so. interesting, cool. Yeah. Uh, and the, the the imagery we have of Soulcatcher getting down and dragging the wagon along with the rest of the men of the Black Company was like it was warming in a way. I really, I was really hoping that Soulcatcher was going to be legit, you know. So I was a little disappointed. So. Yeah, no, Soulcatcher is definitely a fan favorite. Like, people people love her character. She is I fun. I found Soulcatcher more interesting than the lady, personally. Same. So that was going to be my next, uh, like, character point, was to talk about the lady. Um, obviously, we only really got to know the lady in, like, the last third of the book. Uh, you know, there's the one scene where she shows up to take journey or whisper whisper sorry not journey uh journey and feather are taken later um uh, and then croaker doesn't interact with her again until charm uh you know there's like the one point where they're they're killing harden and he sees like the glow the golden soft aura behind the rock and croaker's like oh oh shit the lady saw all of this you know and (laughs) and that that starts to you know increases anxiety and then he has the dream as they're retreating from the stair of terror where she's like you know my faithful need not fear and i i i really want to talk about the lady because she has these two very different sides to her she is so benevolent to croaker she almost shows tenderness to him and at the same time especially if you buy into the the theory that that I'm on and that it seems you guys agree with that she was magically manipulating him to kill Soulcatcher at the end and that she engineered this entire campaign to lose despite the best efforts of the black company and lure the the manhood of a continent to charm to kill them all <laughs> like like she's she's a complicated villain you know like hmm. She she has it's, this like personal level, uh, uh, bright side, while on a macro scale, 
super evil. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hadn't really put too much thought into the lady. I just pretty much decided that I didn't trust her, and I was waiting for the other <laughs> shoe to drop, you know, proverbially speaking. It's just every scene, I feel like, with her, your impression of her is so manipulated that it's hard to say anything definitive. I, I don't trust my own opinion of <laughs> oh, her. Oh, that's fair. Other than Perhaps. the only definitive thing you can say is that she's an evil person based on the decisions that she makes. Okay. That, that's interesting, because I was going to ask you guys if you saw any parallels between her and Mylecoff, where on the personal level, Mylecoff has this like benevolence and this connection to our main character... Where on the macro level, he's like super evil Nazi god emperor. For like <laughs> Malakoff being, for those who don't know, uh, from Matthew Woodring Stover's Acts of Cain, who I consider yeah. to be one of the greatest villain I've ever read. I, 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 I've made a really, really strong yeah. case last week for uh, Chrysides from Shorefall. In, uh, in Shorefall, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I'm, I'm not going to say what? the lady is as great a villain as Malakoff, but. She's up there. She's up there. Okay. Okay. Can't wait to see how that turns out. And if, yeah, I was going to say, if that doesn't make you want to read Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of my character discussions. So I've just got a couple of miscellaneous impressions. One prediction to make. Uh, what about you guys? Okay. What do you have to, uh, to discuss? Uh, nothing further with character. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm set on characters okay. at this point. Okay. Um, I learned a new word this week. I always said I would bring it, you know, I'd bring it up if it happened, and it happened again this week. Perspicacity? Perspicacity? How do you pronounce it? Oh, er, er, perspicacity. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, I got yeah. it right the first time. Good. Perspicacity. It means having deep insight. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. That's a, that's a new one. It's I like, like being that. really sharp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I, oh, I completely called Darling being the White Rose. I, I alluded to this earlier. I'll just yeah, expand yeah. upon it here. I called it at least a hundred pages before it was revealed. Um, I was already considering the feasibility of them happening upon the torture of Darling and her grandfather and then being adopted. And then, you know, out of all the horrific things the Black Company has surely been through previously was those two. I was like, you know, I, I knew that no simple child whose life is saved ever turns out to be a simple child. Not right, to yeah. spoil these next works at all, but I beg the examples of Oliver in The Wheel of Time, Rachel in The Sword of Truth, Averin in The Rune Lords. You know, I knew that Darling was going to be important <laughs> somehow. And later, nice. when yeah, the soldiers yeah. are grumbling about the rebel and claiming that the White Rose could be reborn soon, or maybe they were saying that they had been claiming so already, I can't mm -hmm. remember. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, huh, okay then. But then where I really started to kind of get irritated was a particular moment when Croker was observing Raven and Darling conversing. Uh, and the quote here is, I watched Darling. She was inordinately intrigued by the attack. She asked Raven a stream of questions. They were not simple. You might expect their like from an apprentice general, a prince, someone expected to assume eventual command. And at this point, I'm like, okay, come on. Yep. You're just rubbing our noses in it now, Cook. Is that what you're doing? Oh, yeah. That, I that feel like was... I can see him laughing as he's writing this, because, like, it's, yeah. so, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. It was so obvious. That was the exact same scene the first time I read it that I was like, oh, yep, okay, I, I know where this is going. Like... It was so obvious before that. I just felt like this was him just like, oh, oh, oh don't don't forget that I'm still going to do this to you, but I'm not doing it yet. It's like, mm, come on, man. It's just, 
I get it. I got it already. 100 pages. It was so obvious that I expected some, like, switcheroo shenanigans at the end that that she had nothing to do with anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's still another, there's another thing. I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Okay, let's hear it. Give us a hint. Maybe I have picked up on it. Well, yeah, you did say you have a, a prediction to make. Sure, sure. Should I just make the prediction? And uh, then is see it, a, the lines is it about Darling? Uh, hold on. Yeah, that, yeah it's, she's like part of the subject, yeah. Quote from the end of chapter okay, let's six. let's see. Maybe wariness okay. did things to my mind. For a few seconds, I believed I saw the landscape of tomorrow. Saw the lady's triumph turning like a serpent and generating her destruction during the next passage of the comet. I saw a true white rose carrying her standard to the tower, saw her and her champions as clearly as if I was there that day myself. Prediction? Clearly this is going to happen in some way or another. It wasn't just an idle thought on Croker's part. This is very deliberate and obvious foreshadowing. Okay. okay. Was that... that? That is that is not uh, oh. uh, the thing that I was thinking of. Okay. Um, uh, I'll just say, without giving anything away... Oh, how do I not give it away? Tease me, Drew. Don't give anything away. Do it to no, me. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> do it to me. I I would just like you to... Like, in the last... If you reread this book, in the last, like, uh, three, four chapters... Okay. So you mean, keep like, the last an eye on, of the book? on how people react to things around Darling. Okay. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. This is ominous because it makes me think of something that I'm. No, I'm not. Never mind. That we'll just. I'll. You'll. You'll see eventually. Um. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. All right. So all I have left is my conclusion and my three favorite scenes. Yeah, I was gonna say we should uh, hit up three favorite scenes here. Yeah, I just remembered to do this like half an hour before we uh, went hot here. So, should I start then? I, I totally forgot. Okay. I, I was, that's, yeah, I almost forgot. <laughs> I almost forgot. <laughs> um, let's see here. I guess, I guess I'll get us started. Drew, you just want to go back and forth, and then we'll get, like, a uh, overall impression from Jared afterwards? Unless you want to take give, the time, Jared, to figure out three? Well, that's what I meant. While like, we go? Uh, yeah, you guys that's start. That's what I meant. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'll do one, Drew does the one, I do, do's. I do one, and then at the end of all three of each of ours, <laughs> Jared can... Uh, Give sure, his thoughts. Sure. Okay, okay, I'll start. Third favorite, Raven and Croker and the company saving Darling and her grandfather. What the hell was his name again? Did you actually find it? Fletcher? Flick. Flicker? Flick? Okay. Flick. Flick. It was, I just watched Liar Liar, so I want, I, Fletcher's in my head. Um, it was a, uh. a, a brutal start to the scene, obviously, um, but a satisfying oh, rescue, man. nonetheless. I was really, really, I loved the fact that we knew something was wrong going in, the fact that uh, Croker was going, he's like, I just, I have to go see if anybody's hurt, you know, there's children and then Raven decides to go with him and just take a knife and go with him alone if if he has to, he didn't have to but he was going to, he was ready to against what was like, potentially 25 armed hostiles with just his knife, he was making that decision if I have to go alone with him, I'm going alone with him and that save was that rescue was heartwarming so, it was awesome nice, brutal nice. but awesome so my third favorite scene was uh, the limper walking in in ore and sitting down at the table. And that whole scene, the tension in that scene. Oh my god. I especially gosh. appreciated like, how the black company just kind of 
carried on as if business was usual, <laughs> just to wait to see what would happen. While, while subtly, like, preparing, yeah. you know, yeah. like, one of them's, like, getting ready to fling the hot tea water, and, yeah. like, one eye's rolled against the wall and starts, like, whispering his spell, like, you know, everybody's like, oh, oh, sh oh, sh yep. Like, <laughs> yep, 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 oh, it's so good, and then Soulcatcher walks in and just the tension shatters, like, ah. Oh. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. Alright, uh, my second favorite. Croker coming to realize at the end of chapter 6 the true identity of Soulcatcher and the evil of the Lady of Charm. So, I mean, just in sheer terms of importance for his character journey and, and a, a huge turning point for him as a person. I thought this was really quaint. It was a good way to end the first book, I figured. So I like this chapter. Just for its importance. Okay, okay. So my second favorite scene, a little more mundane, but like uh, on the fun side, in a really morbid way, uh, the advent of the elephants in the Battle of Charm. <laughs> yes, and how happy like, they were about it too. Yeah, that was that was the line I was thinking of. Like he says something like the Mahouts had great fun, like just rampaging their elephants around. Because <laughs> none of the rebels had any idea how to deal with yes. them. Like. And I was thinking at that moment, it's like, well, I've never had any experience fighting elephants myself. How would I react in this situation? Poorly, it turns terrified. out. I'm pretty sure it would be poorly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My favorite scene. My favorite moment, I should say. Raven's speech to Croker in Chapter 4. Uh, uh, Jared alluded to this earlier. Um just after Croker was was telling the story written in the annals by Old Straw, uh, Raven says to Croker, You made me feel something for the first time since my wife and her lovers tried to murder me and steal my rights and titles. He rose, closed one eye, looked down the length of his arrow. Thanks, Croker. For a while, I felt human again. I don't know why, but that delivery really, really hit deep with me in that moment. You just took exactly my favorite yeah, scene. Yeah, I did. And the exact quote I was about to read. Kiss my ass. I knew it. Yes. Thank Boom. you very much. <laughs> Nailed it. So good. The, that scene is everything about the Brotherhood of the Black Company. It's, it's the most touching moment in the book where the stone-cold, heartless, soulless raven feels kinship he 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 finally there's a chink in his armor and and you just you, you see that little hint of vulnerability it's beautiful it's beautiful okay all right all right jared we're not going to hold you to a okay. specific hard three but uh you have any, a, i have a couple that came yeah, to any mind. impressions okay so one was, I think it's right before they reach Charm, and they're kind of, like, working backwards through the storm. Oh, yeah. From Stormbringer? Is that? Oh, Stormbringer? In the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stormbringer. 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 In the dust, and in the sand. Yeah, the windy mm -hmm. country. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the most visually uh, memorable ones for me. And, you know, you, I think you kind of have the emotional impact then of just this bleak situation that they find themselves in where they've been winning every battle, but losing the war. 
And I, I loved the the kind of personal level of that scene with Croker where like he's on the line, right? And Messenger comes out of the storm and he's like, dude, what are you doing on the front lines? Get back to the captain. <laughs> and the captain's like, what are you doing? Croker's like, I was taking my turn. He's like, you don't take a turn. We have 3,000 men here. We got hundreds of injured. You're our only physician. You don't take a freaking turn, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. The second one that came to mind was when I think it was Whisper, right? That was taken. Yes. Um. The, it, it was the one where Silent was like watching the oh, whole time. Oh, he was from, like, yeah, observing behind the log. The log. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess the third one would be the first, like, in-person meeting with the lady. Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of intimidating, wasn't it? I didn't know what oh, I was yeah. expecting. Oh, yeah, I didn't know what to expect going into it. I was like, uh-oh. I was kind of just as nervous as Croker was in that moment. And you can feel his helplessness. So you know, like, he's injured, and, and then, like, he just loses track of things, and the next thing he remembers, he's, like, getting wheeled out, and he's like, what, what? Yeah. Like, you know? Like when you're when you're so completely overmatched, when when another person has that much control over your body, and by the way, that is my personal theory. That is when the lady worked her magic on him. That that's when she put him under a spell to kind of more or less do what okay, she so wanted him to. I thought these books were all finished. Are they? They're so they're they not. Are. They are. Well, so they're. He's considering writing a sequel, but the main sequence of the series is done. So we just don't get an answer on that then, if you're if you having read all of them are still theorizing on this. Uh no, we don't really get a concrete answer. Okay. Okay. Interesting. In the I will say in the grand scheme of things, not very important. Okay. Awesome. Alright. Um I'm yeah. just pretty much ready to wrap up. What's that, Jared? You sounded like you're about to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, <clears throat> I find it interesting that I I take so much issue with the style, and yet the three scenes that I came up with kind of on the spot are some of the most visually striking to me. And so, I, yeah, I don't know how to sit with that, how, how to sit with a style that I hate, and yet here I am able to think of, you know three excellent scenes i very very much feel you on that jared because i will say for myself all in all i will i wrote down i will admit two things one i didn't like the book now i didn't i want to say i didn't actively dislike it like for example ruin of kings for like i I can't i can't deny that cook appears to know very well what he's about in his craft and far be it from me to say the book is not a good one i i can just say that it was not for me i can only beg personal taste on this one um, second thing I'll admit is it could be a complete flaw on my part. I'm definitely going to keep my opinions open going forward because for all I know, like what just happened to me with Foundryside and Shorefall by Robert Jackson Bennett, the first book could leave me a little, you know, unengaged, but then the second one could absolutely blow me away. So I'm not giving up hope that I will be totally engrossed in the next volume. So I, I'm still excited to give it a try. Yeah. So, Jared, with, with your kind of point there, um, maybe this is exactly, like, what you need to hear. But, like, the reason I love this series so much is because it is so unlike 
anything else I've read. It The style of it is so thoroughly unique that you you have this this relationship with it, right? Like when I read this first book years and years ago now, I was like, like this is weird. But I was <laughs> compelled to read the second book. Like I I I didn't and I will say to this day, first book by far my least favorite in the series. By far. Like I give this book like three, three and a half stars out of five. Okay. Every other book in the series, four and a half, five stars. Okay. I love where it goes. And, and Rob, to your point, uh, the second book is my second favorite in the whole series. Bring it. Bring it on. Like, so, so I, I finished reading, you know, the first book, uh, you know, Friday night, and then I, I had another book to finish reading, and I finished that uh, Saturday afternoon. And I was like, okay, well, I may as well get a, you know, a little head start on Shadows Longer. I'll read you know, like 20, 30 pages. I have a week to read that book. It's only, what, 240 pages? Uh, yeah, I'll read like 20 or 30 pages. And I picked it up, and when I put it down, I was like, oh, shit, I'm 115 pages in. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a good video game in that way. Yeah, I was like, okay, I, I forgot how much I love the stand book. So, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 is, it is a series that uh, stands on its own in style and in content. Uh, when you consider the impact it had on the genre, it is incredible. The number of major authors now who will cite Glenn Cook and specifically the Black Company as inspirations is shocking. Like You wouldn't have A Song of Ice and Fire. You wouldn't have Malazan Book of the Fallen. You wouldn't have, uh, um, oh, God damn it, The Blade Itself. What's the First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie? You wouldn't have these series without the Black Company. And these are titans of modern fantasy. And, and and it really is because of how much Glenn Cook stood out from his contemporaries. When you had a a generation of fantasy inspired by uh, Tolkien, inspired by the Lord of the Rings, and Glenn Cook, twenty years before it got popular, said, "You know what? Why is all the fantasy like that?" I want to write this style of fantasy. I don't want to go into the flowery Tolkien-esque prose. I don't want to tell stories of kings and prophesied heroes. I want to talk about what it's like to be a soldier on the front lines. So that's my okay. my conclusion for right. book one. Excellent. One, I just wanted to bring up one really interesting trend that I saw when I was reading through reviews of this. Oh, oh. <laughs> is that there are tons of people that were saying, you know, I, this was a do not finish for me. I never got through the first read, but then it's now 10 years later and my book group is like forcing me through this. There were really? tons of those. Really? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like <laughs> We're then like on, on, on like second attempt. They liked it. Yeah, that's it's very much mine in your case, isn't it, Jared? I mean, my first attempt mm-hmm. was in 2014. I got 20 pages in, didn't, didn't read it. I tried again last year, made it 12 minutes in, 
put it down. Didn't care for it. This time, <laughs> persevered mm -hmm. for the podcast. Still, didn't really like it, but excited to go forward because there was a lot of awesome in it. Okay, so here's my, my ultimate question. Mm. You may not have liked the writing style or, or whatever. It's had the narrative structure is the only thing I really, in this style. Yeah, Are you sorry. interested in the story? I'd say my interest in the story is the only thing making me read number two. I would okay. ask what you mean by the story. The like plot. The like, specifically are, the characters or what, what's happening with what to the, the characters are doing and what's happening in the world? I would say... Uh, I'm not engaged with what's happening. My desire to find out what happened. I'm not really engaged <laughs> with what's happening in the world on on a global scale or what's happening like with good versus evil, if you want to call it that. But I am engaged with, with very specific characters and I, I still want to know... Um, what's going to happen to them going forward? You need those answers about Raven? I need a few of those answers about Raven. <laughs> I need to see uh, Darling become an absolute mute, badass, general leader of some sort going yeah. forward. If if the second book okay. was just called Why The Book of Raven, that would be I bet nice. you she'll find a way to, or somebody will find, no, I'm just, I'm just Oh, Jared, you're going to love the second book. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, good Perfect. to know. All right, gentlemen, shall oh, we go man. into the final yeah. draft? I think we shall. <laughs> All right, I'll start us off. Yeah, uh, Jared. I got a boring choice. Oh, I'll just, I, I got the boring choice, so I'll okay. start us off okay. here, I guess. I am drinking <laughs> from Growers Cider Company, as you can imagine. It's a honey crisp apple cider. 5% alcohol, ABV. It's, I mean, it's pretty plain, pretty standard. It's delicious, very refreshing, you know, tangy, but I, I really don't know how to really review an apple cider. It's just like an alcoholic, fizzy apple juice. Very delicious, very crisp and delicious. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, from Grover's yeah, you cider review company. it by saying that it's delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. It's very. I mean, it's it's been out for an hour and a half now, and it's still very very refreshing, even though it's almost lukewarm at this point. But um, mm. yeah, Grover's <laughs> cider company, honey crisp apple cider, good stuff. We'll drink again, probably. Very nice, Jared. What do you got? I went with the Four Peaks today, so it's their Pitchfork Pale Ale. Pitchfork Pale Ale. To the Very point. Nice. Honestly, I'm not a huge Pale Ale fan, but this is pretty good. Yeah. A little, little hoppy, a little bitter. A little mm -hmm. bitter, a little bit yeah. of mm -hmm. at the back of the throat. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I feel you. I like, well, I like IPAs okay. myself. So, uh, today I'm bringing in a toasted coconut imperial stout aged in a blend of Colorado whiskey barrels. Oh. Uh, this is from Four Noses Brewing Company, which was uh, it, it's in Broomfield, Colorado, just outside of Boulder. Four Noses. Uh, this yeah. this beer is is really really nice. Uh, you get a lot of that coconut. You get you know that that kind of uh, such chocolate a malt. coconut in your beer. I'm such I don't a sucker know. for coconut, oh. man! Oh my god, you could put coconut and and yeah. on, on like a burger. I'll love it. Anything. But yeah. in a beer. Anything. Oh, oh, Jared, yeah. Anything. <laughs> Especially with the way it plays with these, you know, these whiskey barrels. Like, there's there's a really nice, sweet whiskey, mm. you know, kind of accompaniment to the sweet coconut. It's <laughs> Put really, coconut really on nice. a cardboard box and I'm going to eat it. <laughs> 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 but this beer is, um, I, I brought this in uh, for Raven. Oh. It is called... And and I will not I will not extrapolate uh, for the sake of propriety, but it is called B M F. Okay, okay, I see what you did. I, I see that little bit of uh, 
subtle <laughs> subliminal insertion. Wait, has Drew still earlier. kept up with the theme, the themed beer for each episode? Oh, Is Jared, alive still? Oh, Jared, oh, Jared, my sweet summer child. <laughs> it's still going. So, Jared, two episodes ago was our last memory of light episode. You know, you know how that book ends, right? You know the final sentence of that, right? <laughs> Uh-huh. I brought in a beer called Endless Ending. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, Wait a second. Jared, weren't you with us for Lord of Chaos? Um Was he? Man, I don't remember that. Because I had I wanna I, I wanna tell I can't I'll, I'll tell you how we can definitely remember. I, I'll tell you what I had for the end of Lord of Chaos. You know the end of Lord of Chaos. What happens at the end of Lord of Chaos? I brought uh-huh. one in called Tight Squeeze. <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't remember. Ring this. a bell? No. Okay, we must have had somebody else. Who was it? Was it? Yeah, was yeah. it Pat? Man, I I don't remember. Was, okay, I'm gonna check YouTube been. right now because I feel like an of not being able to remember who's with us on that particular for that particular book. It might have been me. No, I I could have sworn it was Jared. Jared hasn't been in in a while. Hang on, hang on, right here, Lord of Chaos Part Three, right here. Got the guys finish off. Oh man, you are not very. Oh wait, what? Oh. Damn it! Yeah, there's three names for the the brews here. Jared, you had to be with us. Oh yeah, it's right there in the title. Uh, Bob Santos, Drew McCaffrey, Jared Livingston. Oh, yeah, so I, I want to okay. apologize for All making right. a mistake in my intro. I said it's been like 33, 31 episodes. No, that that was counting up back <laughs> to the uh, the end of the Shadow Rising. I meant to say the end of Lord of Chaos. That's a long twenty something, right? It's what still been a long around? time. Oh yeah, it's been like six 67? months at least. Yeah, oh, it's, it's been, been a long time. Just uh, not quite as long a, as I thought it had been. That's the note to bring us into the outro here. Yeah. Uh, this has been, as I said, I believe this is episode 67, 67. of the Inking Out yep. Loud podcast. 66 is shortfall. Next up, we are going straight into Shadows Linger, book two of the Black Company. Uh, if you want to get early access to that or check out our monthly short fiction or bonus episodes... Take a look at our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you know, the support we get there allows this podcast to run the way it does. Uh, we can pay Pat for all of his great work sound engineering. We can pay Danielle for her absolutely stunning artwork mm. for our thumbnails. I mean, she just she just keeps knocking it out of the park. We're so fortunate to know, know Danielle. To <laughs> yeah. So, once again, it's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. As always, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yo! And our special guest, Jared Livingston. Good to be back. Chief Administrator, Jared Livingston. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye, everyone. See you guys.